0: Sam Francis, RIP. Sam was an inspiring colleague and a dear friend. One day in 1986 or 1987, I was sitting in my house in Menlo Park, California, reading an article in a San Francisco newspaper. I had not noticed the author's name when I began to read, but halfway through the article I said to myself, this man is brilliant and he is one of us. I looked up at the byline and made a mental note to remember the author's name. It was Samuel Francis. I began to look elsewhere for the Francis byline, and soon he and I were in correspondence. I flew to Washington, D.C. on business, probably in 1988, and Sam agreed to meet me for dinner. It was the first of countless dinners, meetings, phone calls, conversations, and was the beginning of what became a cherished friendship. This first meeting with Sam was before I had started what became American Renaissance, and over the months he strongly urged me to begin publishing. He promised to write for the magazine, and the knowledge that I could rely on at least one first-rate contributor was a source of much encouragement in what could have been an uncertain venture. It was in those early years of our friendship that I learned that beneath Sam's gruff manner there was a warm-hearted and sensitive man, even a shy man. When I telephoned, he would greet me as if I were a bill collector. Great to hear from you was not Sam's style, but he was glad to hear from me, and he continued to write for AR and offer invaluable advice. When, after several years of publishing, I decided to hold a conference for AR readers, Sam was the first person I thought of as a speaker. The 1994 conference, once again an uncertain undertaking, was a great success thanks in no small measure to Sam's willingness to speak. At every AR conference since then, his talk was always one of the best attended and best received. His droll wit, his striking parallels, his arresting metaphors, his impromptu sallies during the question period, no one could both edify and entertain as Sam could, and even after the day's proceedings, he was always at the centre of a convivial circle late into the night. Unfortunately, much as Sam's association benefited AR, the reverse was not always true. In fact, his participation at the 1994 conference was at least partly responsible for a sudden shift in his career. From the time I had first known him, Sam had been both a syndicated columnist and a staff columnist for the Washington Times. His position at the Times was one of high visibility and considerable influence. And just as many people subscribed to Chronicles mainly to read Sam's column, a certain number of readers picked up The Times only because he wrote for it. Sam first got in trouble at The Times for a column ridiculing the Baptist Church for a grovelling official apology for slavery. Though the column did not defend slavery, Sam pointed out that nowhere in the Bible is slavery described as a sin and that the Church had no doctrinal reason to apologise for something in which no living Baptist had had a part. The Times gave him a warning, but kept him on. Soon after, however, there was some publicity about his remarks at the 1994 conference. Though Sam himself never got a full explanation for why he was dismissed from the paper, the following words spoken to the AR audience appear to have been part of the reason. Quote, The civilization that we as whites created in Europe and America could not have developed apart from the genetic endowments of the creating people, nor is there any reason to believe that the civilization can be successfully transmitted to a different people." Perhaps today the Times would have overlooked this not very shocking, even obvious statement. It has recently brushed aside ideological attacks on its writers in an exemplary manner. Ten years ago, however, this appears to have been too much, and Sam began a career as an independence journalist. If anything, we are probably the better for it, because he was so productive. In addition to his twice weekly syndicated columns and monthly essays for chronicles, he was editor of the Citizens Informer and book editor of the Occidental Quarterly. To this he added a regular stream of books and monographs, numerous speaking engagements, and service on several boards of directors, including that of AR's parent organisation, the New Century Foundation. Of Sam's brilliance and boldness as a thinker and writer, there can be no doubt. His articles for AR alone are ample testimony to that. He was undoubtedly the premier philosopher of white racial consciousness of our time, and was an original and provocative writer on a host of subjects bringing broad historical knowledge and years of reflection to any subject on which he wrote. Sam, indeed, felt he was at the height of his powers. Not long ago I told him I thought I detected in myself the occasional memory lapses and slipped mental cogs, of which people over fifty often complain. Sam sounded surprised. His brain, he said, had never been more agile or more powerful. Sam could have built an impressive career as a public intellectual or think-tank executive if, like so many, he had been willing to trim his sails and steer between the boys. This, of course, was not Sam's way, and by writing forcefully about what he knew to be true, moral and vitally important, he sacrificed prominence and acclaim for the greater reward of doing what he saw to be his duty. Sam's convictions, so at odds with the pieties of his time, were in contrast to his private demeanour. He did not enjoy sharp disagreement, and had no taste for the shouting contests that pass for political debate. This was why he did not enjoy radio or television appearances, and did not seek them. He could not abide the ignorance and even rudeness he could expect from the hosts of most programmes. Sam was a surprisingly shy man and never pressed himself on others. At any large gathering he kept to the people he knew best rather than search out new contacts. But, of course, people came to him, attracted by his brilliance, his erudition and his sometimes savage wit. His gruffness kept some admirers at a distance, but many more learned, as I did, to know Sam's real warmth and charm. He made and kept friends from every period of his life, from John Hopkins, the Senate, and among the many people who clustered around the magazines and intellectual movements over which he exerted such a strong influence. Like so many men of great talent, Sam's attainments were striking even in areas for which he was not well known. For example, he read deeply in literature, both serious and popular. He had an encyclopaedic knowledge of the author H.P. Lovecraft, on whom he wrote several essays. His knowledge of literature made it a pleasure to discuss my own reading with him. Whenever I snatched the time to read a novel by Joseph Conrad, or even just a poem by Alexander Pope, Sam always had insightful recollections about the author and the work itself. I was part way through Dickens' Dumbey and Son when Sam died and in a tiny corner of the immense sadness I feel is the pang of knowing I will never have the pleasure of his commentary on that great novel. Unlike many people, whose PhD is a labour undertaken for professional purposes and quickly left behind, Sam's historical learning reflected a real joy in knowing the past. He seemed to retain all he had ever learned, and was an inexhaustible source of insight and information. When, in my desolutary way, I might stumble across an obscure but piquant incident from a 19th century British colonial campaign, Sam would know everything about the campaign, why the colonial minister of the time had ordered it, and why the foreign minister opposed it. When I became acquainted with the Greek historian and geographer Strabo, Sam, of course, knew all about him, and why he was important. What a terrible waste that a man of such immense learning and insight should suddenly be struck down. Only a few weeks before he died, Sam had received a grant to write a major critique of American conservatism and had been clearing away in essential commitments to make time for what would have been, I am sure, his most important book. This book that should have been, like others he would certainly have written, is a loss that can never be made good. Sam was, therefore, for me, both an inspiring professional colleague and a close friend. There was no man who accomplished more for our cause, nor was there one with whom a more agreeable and edifying evening could be spent. Our movement is fortunate to have had him, and I am even more fortunate to have known him in the confidential way I did. Sam deserved many more years at his chosen place in the vanguard of our movement laying bare the lies and hypocrisies of our time, and fighting for the people and civilization he loved. Our best tribute to Sam is to do what he would have expected of us, to carry forward with renewed commitment the great work of which he was so important a part. This article first appeared in the April 2005 issue of American Renaissance.